Good morning, Mission View. It's good to have everyone here together for us to worship together. Um, I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, it'll help us out at the end of the service. There's a little survey that you can take if you have a smartphone. We'd love for you to take it. You just go to missionviewchurch.org backslash survey, and it'll take you right to a four-question survey. It'll take you like two seconds, and I'm giving you permission, even while the message is going on, for you to, to be able to do this quick survey. It'll help us out just evaluating where we're at. Your name's not attached to it, so we can't see who's given what results. So we, we want just an honest feedback of where we are as a church in terms of our walk with God. We're going to be focusing on God's love, not only for us, but our love for Him. Um, I'm reminded of that love. This morning I got the news that a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Murphy, went home to be with the Lord uh, at 6 o'clock this morning. Mike was a very dear friend of mine, and I know he was a friend of a lot of people in this room, and he was one of those contagious spirits, an individual that just loved Jesus. God saved him a little bit later in life, and he, every opportunity he could to share Christ, he did so because he deeply loved Jesus. And as, as his day was coming closer with his fight with cancer, he constantly shared Jesus with others. When you're in love with someone, you share that person, don't you? You want other people to know, and he wanted others to know that this life is not what it's about that there is so much more to this life than just what's happening right now. That this life is just the first chapter, but then we enter into eternity, and it is an eternal, a time of eternity with Christ. So we have hard work to do now because we get to be the examples of Christ to other people. And so I, I, I'm just thinking about that love, and I want... I want you to think about that. I want us as a body to think about what God's love is all about. Think about how God's love affects us. I know for a lot of us, we've, we've meditated and thought about that familiar passage that Mitch mentioned, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Sometimes because something's become so familiar to us, we can just say it in rote. We can say it just, you know, out of routine. But think about it. God loved us. He sent his son for us. What an incredible thing that God would do that for you and I. Think about the love of God. I mean, it would have been special if God would have sent his son to die for us if we were upright and that we were righteous before, before God. It would have been special. But that's not what God did. God took us in the most unseeming, in the most corrupt condition that he could find us, in the most miserable condition, and that's when he loved us. I, I, I was meditating on Ephesians 2 this week out of the message. Listen to this. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which does not know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. 
All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. All he did all of this on his own with no help from us. This morning, our focus primarily is not really about God's love for us. We are reflecting on that right now. But in a moment, I want to turn it and for us to think about what our love for him is all about. But before we can even begin to talk about how we love God, I think it's important to set the stage for us to understand and to reflect and really think about what did he do for us? What did he do for us? He died for us in our condition. See, what God did is he looked and he saw that we were dead, that we were far from God, that we did things that were corrupt. And out of his love, according to Colossians 1, he picked us up out of the mire of this life and he set us on a path of light. According to Titus, it says that he washed us by the regeneration of a new birth. He washed us with his blood. And according to Galatians 4, he allowed us at that point to become children of God. It's at that point that we could cry out, Abba, Father, meaning Daddy. We could actually embrace the God of this universe as our own Daddy, our Father. This is what he did for us. First Peter says that when we gave our life to Christ, when we came into this relationship, we came into a new birth. It was a new lease on life. It was a new start. And not only did he give us a new lease, he gave us an inheritance, a guaranteed inheritance that says that can never spoil, perish, or fade. It is kept in heaven for us. The fact is, according to Romans 8, that there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That's what we have received as believers in Christ, as Christ followers. What an awesome thing. It's good for us to be reminded of that. I want us now to turn it and think about how is it that we love him how do we as a group of people called the body of Christ, called Mission View Church, how is it that we get to love God in response? What is God's evaluation of us? Will it be what, God, what Peter says of the believers in that time in 1 Peter when it says, though you have not seen Jesus, you loved him? Even though you do not see him now, you believed in him, in him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. Will that be the evaluation that God sees us as people so in love with Jesus that we have an inexpressible, glorious joy about us? Or will his evaluation be what John had to say to the apathetic believers in 1 John when he said, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what I command is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his words, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So what's the evaluation? Joy, inexpressible joy that's seen in our life. 
Or would God give us the rebuke of saying, your love is shallow, it's fickled, it's word only? Our mission statement here at Mission View is this, that we want to see disciples made who have an intimacy with God, have a community with one another, and an influence in the world. We're going to take each of these phrases in the next three weeks and really evaluate where we are as a church. And today we're going to focus on the idea of intimacy with God, our love relationship with God. And we're going to be looking in a moment in Revelations chapter 2. You can turn there, Revelations 2. We're going to be looking at a few verses, 2 through 7. But what we're going to see here in this passage is we're going to see a group of people in a church that were very busy. They were very busy, but then there's an evaluation that though they were busy, they did not have the love relationship with God that they had at first. And I look at that, and sometimes I, I, as I meditated on this the, the last couple of weeks, I thought, why do we do that? And then all I do is go into human history, even biblical history, and we see many times over that that's the way our nature is as people. We're a fickle people. Did you know that you're fickle? I'm fickle as well. That we are a peculiar people. That we could love God one moment. We could be serving God with all of our heart. And then all of a sudden we can turn. I think of the people of Israel. Remember back in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua? Do you remember when the people were going into the promised land? They were dependent upon the, uh, the Lord. You know why? Because there was giants in the land. But this was their land. God had warned the people that they needed to get out because this was God's land for God's people. And so the people didn't move. They knew they would be going into this land and they would be doing battle. And the people of Israel were so dependent upon the Lord. They were so so in need of God for everything. And they loved him with all of their heart. And God did mighty victories in their life. And they went in and they won many battles. And after the land was rid of people that were not to be there, and they started settling into their new towns, their new homes, guess what else happened? The very people that depended on God, the ones that loved God desperately, all of a sudden started going after foreign gods. And by the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua gathers the people of Israel together and he says, choose you this day who you're going to serve. Is it going to be the God of the Ammonites? Are you going to go after fleshly tendencies, your sexual desires, your superstitious desires? Are you going to go after these gods? Or are you going to serve the God of gods, the Lord of lords? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he gave that challenge to the people. But then one of the most sobering verses is in the very next book, in chapter 2, in the book of Judges, that says this. After that whole generation that had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Tragic. Here's the question. What kind of people... What kind of church will we be? 
What kind of legacy will you leave behind when it's time for you to go? What will it be? Will we be known as a faithful people who desperately, desperately love Jesus Christ? What will God's evaluation be on our life? I don't want to have to wait to that judgment day when I go before God for there to be an evaluation. Let's do it today. Let's evaluate today. Isn't it great that we can evaluate right now, we can make mid-course corrections, and let's make sure we're going the right direction. And so this is the reason why I've picked this passage in Revelations, because in Revelations 2 and 3, there's a unique setting here, that there are seven churches in these two chapters that God actually puts under the microscope and does an evaluation. Now, we don't have time to evaluate all seven of these churches. We'll evaluate the first church, the Ephesian church. You can evaluate the other six at home. But let's take a look and evaluate See how he evaluates this church, this Ephesian church. By the way, this Ephesian church is the very church that we studied back in the winter and the spring when we went through the book of Ephesus. When Ephesus was written, they were an infant church. Now, fast forward 35 years, this is being written in evaluation of that church. Now, why does God give an evaluation of the Ephesian church? I believe because the Ephesian church was a very influential church. It was in the cap capital city of Asia Minor, in the capital city of, of, of Ephesus. It was a seaport city that was extremely influential in the world. And please know that God wanted the church to be an influence. I don't know if you know this. Hopefully you do. But God puts churches in communities to be an influence in that community. And not so it would just influence that community, but it would trickle out to many communities. And because it imported uh, items as well as people, if those people understood the message of God's grace and they became followers of Christ, they too, when they would go to different places in the world, would take that message with them. And so God wanted this city, this church in this city, to be an influential church. You know, when it first became a, a brand new church in its beginning, if you read in the book of Acts, you'll see that they were so contagious for God that people were coming to faith in Christ and idol sales in the city of Ephesus started to plummet and it caused riots within that city. That's the kind of influence that we want. I'm okay with every establishment that does wrong for it to start to close down because we've had an influence for the gospel. That's what Paul, that's what the writer, that's what God wants for this church, that they would continue on in their influence. So it's actually John that God is using to write this. And so he gives four things that are commendable and one thing that they had to really think about that was a negative. Now I gotta say, if I was in a job review and I had four positive things and only one negative thing, I would say, well, that's a pretty good job, okay? I'm one for five or is bad, and four out of five is good. So I'm good with that. 
But let's take a look and see what God has to say with them. Here's the first thing he says in Revelations chapter 2. We start off with verse 2, and he says this. I know your works, your toil. I'm not going to let you get too far. We're going to stop right there. The very first encouragement is that he is recognizing that they were a hard-working church. They were a hard-working church. The word work means to toil to the point of exhaustion. God had taken notice that this was a hard-working church that was working hard in the midst of a difficult culture. Now you say, what were they working hard at? Well, they were working hard at what we're supposed to do as a church. We have been given a commission to go and to make disciples. So they were infiltrating the community around them. And they were teaching the word of God from within. They were working hard at this. And what we notice from this is this is what God commends. I believe at Mission View, God wants us to be commended for the same thing. That we would be hard hard workers for God. We have a job to infiltrate our community. It's good when we do family blasts during the summer. It's good when we are doing the, uh, the library nights where we do the film nights with the library. It's good that we feed teachers in the public school. It's good that we do work projects in the community. It's good that we do these things. It's good that we labor together and study God's Word together here on Sunday morning. It's good that we break up into homes and turn this lesson from a monologue to a dialogue and hold each other accountable to applying God's Word when we break up into our community groups. This is hard work that we need to be busy about. After all, the world works every day People that don't know Christ work every day on things that don't have an eternal difference. Should we not be a people that work very diligently for those things that matter for eternity? Answers, yes, absolutely. So that's the first evaluation. Here's the second evaluation. He encourages them that they were a persistent church. We can continue on. I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance. God also knew that this church faced many trials. That's why he says patient endurance. They had many difficulties come their way. We know from the book of Ephesians that they had internal problems and external problems. In, the, in Ephesians chapter 4, he, he, Paul had written that they were to bear with one another. That kind of gives you an indication of internal struggles. You know why he said that? Because we have a multitude of different kinds of personalities, different likes, different tastes. People that like worship music loud, some people that like worship music soft. Some people that like hard chairs, some people that like soft chairs. People that like the commons, people that might not like the commons. People that want this in a children's ministry, some people want this in a children's ministry. And we go on and on and on. you got all these personalities, and Paul says internally, bear with one another. In other words, there's going to be times that you don't like each other, but you are to bear with one another and preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's what you're to do. 
Later on in the book of Ephesians, it says that we live in a, they lived in a world, a world that was futile in thinking, and it was corrupt, and it was darkened. And I get the feel that this was constantly creeping in on the Ephesian church. And what's interesting here in Revelation 2 is that God is commending them for a job well done some 35 years later. They had a long track record of running the race. I think you can see the value of persistence. Over the years, I have seen people come and go inside, go in and out of the church. Now, I'm not critical of these people because I know that there's times where you go to another church because it's time because for whatever reason, maybe the church has lost its vision. Maybe the candle of influence is out of that church Whatever it is, there may be good reasons, but there are some that make it a habit of just going from church to church to church to church, and in 10 years' time, they might be at 10 different churches. There's something to be said about those that weather the storms inside the church. As long as people are in the church, there's going to be storms. As long as there is a world that hates God, there will be storms. As long as there is an enemy on the loose, there will be storms. God loves it when we stand for truth, we persevere with truth in the body of Christ, and that we persevere in those trials. In fact, James chapter 1 verse 12 says that God will give a special crown of life to those who have persevered under trials. See, I take this as a point of evaluation and a charge for us to be a persistent church. We're just a young church. We're about to celebrate our one-year anniversary coming at the very last week of this month. And this is, uh, this is actually the anniversary of our preview services today. And what an incredible thing. Some of you have been with us for a whole year. But we need to be persistent. We need to be a persistent church. We need to work hard. Here's the third evaluation is that they were to be a doctrine. They were doctrinally pure church. Take a look at verse 2. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. And then jump down to verse 6. You hate the word of the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Evidently, the Nicolaitans were a people that were taking truth of God's word and mixing it with lies and promoting it as a new doctrine within the church. See, one of the pressures that the church in Ephesus had, as well as we have today, is that there's always going to be the seepage of new ideas that, will, that are doctrinally off base that will always come into the church. They will present themselves as popular and, and chisel, and they're going to be uh, just kind of packaged in a palatable way for people to say, yeah, I kind of like that. I see many different kinds of things that ha happen to us in the church today. I think a couple years ago, there was Rob Bell who came out with a book called Love Wins. That book was basically saying that God believes is a teaching of universalism, meaning that eventually everybody would, would make it to heaven. Everybody would make it to heaven. Now, who doesn't want everybody to go to heaven? Everybody wants that. 
But the reality is that's not what the Bible says. It says narrow is the path that leads to life, broad is the path that leads to destruction. There will be many people that will reject the claims of Christ, and God will have to reject them. I wish it was true, but it's not. God's Word teaches something different. There's a trend in church today for us to exalt grace, but to downplay sin. We're not going to talk about sin. We're not going to use the word sin anymore, but we're going to talk about grace, grace, grace. Grace covers it. And yes, grace does cover it, but we cannot understand grace until we understand how we grieve God in our sin and that we need the grace of God to cover us. There are some that are sitting in their sin saying, it's okay, it's okay. We need the conviction of God's word. I think another trend, and this is the last one I'll cover, is that I think that there's a dangerous philosophy in teaching in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. A lot of, I'm going to guess there are some here that listen to those broadcasts or those, the, the things that you, you just listen to those messages through your iPod, through the different venues. you got to be careful there is a message that says, you know, God just wants you to be happy. He just wants you to be healthy. He just wants you to be wealthy. I was listening to an excerpt from a message from Lakewood Church. It was actually Victoria Olstein who said this. I just want to encourage every one of us, everyone, to realize that when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. That's one way of looking at it. We're really doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we are happy. That's the thing that gives God the greatest joy this morning. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. And when you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen? And the place erupted in applause. Is that really what God wants? Is God after our happiness? Is it about us? What about the scriptures? Does not the Bible say that we are to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to his name and worship his name in holy array in Psalm 29? Are we not to guard our, house, our steps when we go into the house of God than to offer up a sacrifice of fools according to Ecclesiastes 1? Are we not to be to the praise of his glory and his grace according to Ephesians 1.12? Do, do we not have a jealous God who does not share his glory with another? according to James chapter 4? Where then are we told in the scriptures that the chief end of God is our happiness? Nowhere. Nowhere. And what God is commending these people for, this Ephesian church, is that they stood their ground. They spoke the truth. They identified it when it was wrong and when it wasn't right. He identified the Nicolaitans. He called out the Nicolaitans because they were infiltrating the church. And he says, you've stood your ground. I am giving you positive marks in this. Likewise, we can see that God wants Mission View to be doctrinally pure. I want to say on behalf of the elders of Mission View that we take this job very responsibly. 
we take it very seriously. Our job is to be true to God's Word, and our job is not to stick our finger in the air and to find out what is the wave or the new teaching or the things that are going on in society around us for us to determine what we're to do. No, we look at one source, and it is the Word of God, and we're going to try to do our best to share this Word in grace. We're not in competition with other churches. We love other churches. That's why we pray for the body of Christ. But if there is something blunt, if there is something that goes against God's word, we're willing to identify those things because this is what God wants us to be. He wants us to be like them, a church that is doctrinally pure. They worked hard. They were persistent. They were doctrinally pure. But they were morally pure as well. Take a look at this. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. You say, well, what is he talking about? Well, you need to understand the Ephesian culture. Ephesian church was competing with another religion in town where they would go, where men and women would go to the temple of Artemis, and they would worship the sex goddess that was there. And as a part of that religious practice, the men were to go to have sex with the temple prostitutes in order for the goddess to bless their crops, for the goddess to bless their families. Now can you imagine the, the, the discussion that went on around that dinner table? Honey, you know, I got to go and see the temple prostitute. I'm just doing my job just so that we can have the goddess's blessing on our, our family. See, this is the competition. And in the Ephesian church, he's saying, I know you are enduring patiently, and you have not grown weary. You have not allowed a sex-crazed culture to creep within the walls of your ministry. I know you haven't done that. Well done. Well done. Don't give up. What another example for us. We are to be upright in the midst of, in the midst of a sex-crazed culture. And believe me, we have a sex-crazed culture. No, it's not the worship of a sex goddess, but it is sex in every other form that wants to creep its way inside the church, and we are to live above the mire. Now, at this point in the passage, it would seem to me like the angels would come out and start singing the hallelujah chorus because of the diligence of this church. Look at the evaluation. They were hardworking for God. They were persistent. They were doctrinally pure. They were morally pure in a corrupt society. But then we get to verse 4 and 5. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
The lampstand is the position of influence. It's symbolic for the influence that God has for every church. And if God removes the lampstand from Mission View, watch out, you need to leave this place. Because it means that he has removed his spirit at work here. He has removed his position of influence. And then we become a relic of the past like many churches have become where they're just doing the motions of church but not really worshiping God. God forbid that happening. As I look at this, the startling reality starts to shake our world. Is it possible that we can work hard for God? That we can be persistent under trials? That we can be doctrinally and morally pure in a corrupt society and yet God is displeased with us? Can I just say that as a person who has dedicated his life to serving God all my life, this is a hard reality. But if I see this right, it is possible for one to serve God and not love God. Here's the negative reality. These believers were not in love with Jesus. This was a big deal. It's a big deal now. You see, what this tells us is that God has crafted us in such a way not for him to be a religious figurehead in our life, but he has created us so that we could have relationship with the living God. And that's what God longs for us. He, enjoy, he enjoys that relationship that he can have for us because he created us. That's why he put his spirit so we can be in communion with God. He allowed redemption to take place so that man, could be united with God and that there could be that relationship that we have. And yet many children of God who bear the name of God are estranged from God. If you ever met a parent who is estranged from their children, you will understand the emotions behind all of this. The parent that longs so desperately to have that relationship with their son or daughter. And that son or daughter may be going throughout life thinking everything is okay and thinking that there's no problems, but yet there's a father, there's a mother, there is somebody that is so longing to have that deep and intimate relationship with that child. This is a picture of God and the church and what he desires of us. We know that to be true because of the words that Jesus said. Remember what he said in Matthew 10, verse 37? Jesus replied, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He was just reminding them of what they were taught as Jewish children from Deuteronomy chapter 6. In John 14, Jesus said this, Whoever has my commandment and keeps them keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and show myself to them. So what does it mean for us to hold on to our first love? Here's what I believe it means. I believe it means that we have an exclusive passion for God. An exclusive passion for God. 
Let me put this in a way that many will understand. For those of you that want to be married someday, you'll understand this as well. One day you come home as a husband, and you go to your wife, and you give her a warm embrace, and you say, baby, I want you to know you're in the top three of all the women that I love. (laughs) And he's not talking about his mom and his sister, okay? Let me ask you, how will the conversation after that statement go for you? Not too well. Because your wife doesn't want to be number two, doesn't want to be number three. You better make her number one because you are to have an exclusive, passionate relationship with your spouse. And my friends, this is where it's similar in regards to God. God is a jealous God. And God is not going to be number two in our life. He's not going to be number three in our life. He's not going to be number four in our life. He is a jealous God, and he wants us to have an exclusive passion for him. The admonition in this passage is repent. Repent. And in order for repentance, which means an about face, to happen, there needs to be a mental assessment of where I am and an honest evaluation of really, really, do I love God? And is it showing in my life? Let me tell you what it means for me, Steve Marshall. This past week, my wife and I and some friends were and family were away on vacation, and I had a a considerable amount of time to be able to just get away and be still. And it was an awesome thing. And what I realized is that I need less activity in my life and I need more stillness before God. That's what Steve Marshall needs. My friends, it's, it's kind of like a, a cup. My life is a cup, and, and God wants to pour into my life, and it's really hard to pour water into a moving cup. And what God wants is to pour into us. And I wonder sometimes how much uh, our ministry comes out of an oozing love for God and how much of it we are just simply muscling out. And I'm speaking to a leadership team that you've been at this not just for a year, but now two years because we took a full year in leading up to the planting of Mission View. And it's real possible for us just to muscle things out and for us to do that. And God says, no, that's not what I want. The reality is this. We may not be the best leader, We may not be the best strategist. We may not be the best evangelist. We may not be the best servant. We may not be the best community group leader. We may not be the best of anything, but I will tell you that if you are in love with Jesus, God will take the few loaves and the few fishes that you give him, and he will do multiple things with those things, and he will get the glory because he's the one that did it through you. But it starts with a love relationship with the living God. Here's our challenge. Our challenge is to take the qualities that make our human relationships and apply it to God. The best relationship I have on this planet is with my wife. I love being with my wife. Here are the qualities that make our relationship where it is. Positive, good. It's time together. It's taking time to communicate, and we do plenty of that. And it's a good thing. I like it. 
we t- I'm taking a whole lifetime of her trying to understand me and I'm trying to understand her, but we're working at it. And it's been a fun process. It's passion. It's service. The list goes on. My friends, the sad reality is that many people in the body of Christ are more in love with the idea of loving Jesus than loving Jesus himself. We sing songs, I am a friend of God, I am a friend of God, and yet when we don't even spend time with that friend. We allow busyness of life to squeeze out God. I know because I've done it plenty of times in my own life. My friends, this is not a message for you. It's a message for us. The leaders at Mission View have as our highest priority that we have an intimate relationship with God. Why? Because everything else rises and falls upon this one truth. If I am learning to walk with God and I am learning to love with God and the overflow will affect my community with each other that we'll talk about next week. And then it will eventually affect my influence because I'm naturally going to want to talk to people about Jesus Christ because I love Jesus. But it all starts with an intimacy with God. And that's what God wants. Our job as leaders is to help you walk. It's to provide an environment where you can learn God's Word on Sunday morning. It's to be able to break you down into community groups so that you can start digesting that together and really thinking about it and praying together. But your job is to do it. Your job is to do it. Here's three things I want to close with to challenge you. Number one, honestly do an honest evaluation of your relationship with God. Now, the survey that we did at the beginning, some of you probably liked and some of you didn't like it all that much, okay? In terms of what's happened here, here's how the results. For those of you that would want that are reading the Word of God, 33% here are reading it from zero to one time. 25% are reading 20 or two to three times, and then 26% are reading it 26% of the time, and then 6 plus 16%. you got to ask yourself, is that okay? Are we good with that? How it's affecting us in our life? Not at all, 2%. Somewhat, 38%. Profoundly, 60%. Excellent. How many times do we pray throughout the week? 3%? Uh, 7% are 0 to 1, 23% are 2 to 3, 23% 4 to, six, 4 to 5, and 47% 6 plus. How is it affecting us? Not at all 3%. Somewhat 33%, profoundly 64%. What's the point? We need to evaluate. What do we do after we evaluate? Number two, recommit your relationship with God. For those of you that are in that percentage where you know, and it's not just about checking a box, it's not just saying I prayed today and I read, it's walking with God. But for those of you that are walking with God, continue on. But during these two, next two songs, I want it to be a recommitment time. I, this altar is going to be open. 
And I, this isn't about what anybody else thinks. It's about what God thinks. And for us to come before, whether you kneel down where you're at, where you stand at where you're at, or whether you come up here, commit yourself, recommit yourself to a loving relationship with God. Let's not have his evaluation be, yeah, you work hard, you persist, you're persistent, you're doctrinally pure, you're morally pure, but you don't love me. And finally, keep your relationship fresh. Go for a walk with God. Spend time with him. Be alone with him. Get your bearings so that you can operate throughout the day loving your family, loving your spouse, doing your work, working hard. And I believe incredible transformation will take place from that point on. Let's evaluate.